My name is Ryan Miner. I'm the host of a Minor Detail podcast. I report on Maryland political news at a minordetail.com. A Minor Detail is a startup media outlet dedicated to bringing Marylanders a multimedia experience. Our platform is painstakingly fair. We're nonpartisan and independent. We're not beholden to donors or big advertisers. We're interested in the facts in every story. We're interested in finding the truth. This year, A Minor Detail and its podcast turns five years old. A Minor Detail covers trending Maryland political news. We keep politicians honest, we don't play favorites, and we certainly don't bullshit you. We encourage you to support local news, and it's up to you to decide how to use it and how to make sense of it. Now, let's talk about the news. All right, and if you're just joining us, it is. Hey, the Winnie. T- oh, she's off, Lynn. Oh. If you're just joining us, it's the top of the hour. You are listening to a minor detail podcast. Visit a minor We are live on a minor Like and share this. Share this all over Facebook. And then visit a minor slash newsletter. Sign up for this podcast um, on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Uh, let's see, Google Podcasts, we're all over the place. And, um, yeah, that was a great discussion. I want to move on to some rapid-fire topics, guys. And so I'm glad that you're here. Um, There's no better folks in the state of Maryland to really get into the nitty-gritty of what I love most, and that's to talk about state politics from all over the place. Alan McCarthy, on Tuesday, uh, he... He learned that uh, a judge, Judge Ross, um, who was a visiting judge up in Cecil County, McCarthy lost the Cecil County executive Republican primary to someone named Danielle Hornberger. Danielle Hornberger is the wife to Delegate Kevin Hornberger, and she ran a very pro-Trump campaign. She posed with uh, assault weapons, if you'll remember, and she— she just ran a very strong pro-Trump campaign, and she works part-time for Andy Harris in the district, and Andy Harris uh, supported her. Uh, Len Foxwell's best friend, Dirk Hare, was behind <laughs> Mrs. Hornberger. So it came out that uh, back in July, I think the middle of July, uh, County Executive Alan McCarthy, a Republican, found out that there was some shenanigans. So he found out that Mrs. Hornberger never filed the correct campaign finance disclosure document, okay? That's required. Before you get on the ballot, all of us yes, know that, is. right? You've got to file a financial disclosure document in order to solidify a campaign committee. It's just the law. Yep. So yes. it turns out that there was some weirdness with that, and then it turns out that we learned that the deputy director of the Cecil County Board of Elections was fired. Her name is Laura Walters. And they won't say that she was fired. They say that she's just now gone. Well, all of my sources in Cecil County have told me that she was fired, that she was fired because she manufactured, they say. And this is I'm just repeating what they told me, that she manufactured a campaign finance form. She signed a document it very well could lead to criminal charges. I know that the state, the state prosecutors. So anyway, McCarthy found this out, and he think he filed suit in late July. He hired Timothy Maloney, and you know Tim Maloney's powerhouse lawyer in the state of Maryland, and Democrats. <laughs> yeah, and so I think he even represented Hogan at one point. He's so, very close uh, friends personally, and 
professionally with Governor Hogan. Mrs. Hornberger hired, or I don't know she hired because they won't tell me. I don't know what their financial arrangement was. Maybe she pulled a dollar out of her pocket and said, congratulations, you're my lawyer. But she she got counsel from her lawyers were Dirk and Jessica Hare. And, uh, of course, Jessica Hare is a county councilwoman in Anne Arundel County, and Dirk Hare is the GOP uh, chairman of Maryland. And I guess Dirk Hare is somewhere uh, at the GOP convention this week, and uh, maybe he is boasting about his win. Anyway, they went to court. They had an all-day hearing up in Cecil County Circuit Court, and it turns out that the judge actually, in fact, ruled against Alan McCarthy's request for an injunction to toss Hornberger from the ballot for not filing the correct campaign documents. And that's a, a brief summary, but the judge but, note, the judge yeah. noted in his his opinion that basically he didn't meet the standard, he didn't meet the burden, that he filed too late. And it was sort of these technical legal arguments. And I understand how judges typically don't want to get involved with matters of <laughs> matters of the of politics like that was decided. And he's basically said, well, you know, if she's thrown off the ballot or if she was the, the outcome would not have been different because she beat McCarthy pretty handily. So but he did say that there was serious irregularities in Mrs. Hornberger's filing that basically she kept her head in the sand when she filed these documents. She should have known better, and she tried to use the excuse that her that she's a first-time candidate. And it's like, well, wait a second. How can you say that when your husband's a state delegate? He was first elected in, two, in 2014. You're friends with all these state delegates. You know people in politics, and yet you hire a treasurer who uh, didn't seem to know the difference between filing for uh, a position as a Republican, as a delegate to the Republican National Committee convention versus filing for a, a local county office. So my question is that she's likely to become the next county executive. Maybe Alan McCarthy will run as a Democrat. I don't know. I know that I don't know Alan McCarthy well, but I do know that he's been, well, he's been a pretty decent county executive. And Cecil County is just one of those places where it's a very pro-Trump county. She tapped into the the Trump anger. So I don't know if anybody wants to comment, but I wanted to summarize what happened there. And for all those people listening that say, oh, you didn't touch on this when it came out. And it's like, well, I had in mind to do this follow-up discussion. But if anybody wants to say anything about Mrs. Hornberger, uh, and, and if anybody watched the video of her during a, a, a public forum, well, I think that there's serious concern that she's just not prepared for the job. Ryan, I, I, I read the the judge's ruling. Yeah. And I'm reminded, when, as I was reading it, I was reminded of that saying that there's a difference between being innocent and not guilty. <laughs> and that was a sum and substance of what Judge Ross uh, put, in the, put in his uh, judicial determination that, um, look, I, I, think, I, I think County Executive McCarthy filed too late. Was un and that was referenced in the judge's ruling, and he asked for too much. I, I as, as you said at the outset, a judge is going to be is going to be traditionally highly reluctant uh, to invalidate the will of the voters, especially in a race that was th that was so conclusive. I mean, Danny, Danny Hornberger beat Alan McCarthy by a sixty-one to twenty-nine margin. Yeah, you're going to be hard pressed to find a judge at any level, anywhere in this country, 
that's going to step in and take a winner that decisive off the ballot for a procedural mistake, even if it's a serious procedural mistake. A legal one. I think he filed too late. And I think the remedy was too extreme for the offense. But that said, you hit the you 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 hit the right note when you said the judge nonetheless pointed out severe irregularities mm-hmm. uh, that at best she put her head in the sand and should have known better. And the best he did uh, on her behalf was validate her baseline credentials as a candidate, saying that her candidacy had been certified by the board of elections. Look, to me, the biggest issue is not. Danny Hornberger being allowed to run or not run. To me, it is whatever the heck happened within that Cecil County Board of Elections. And this is occurring against a backdrop of some unprecedented political volatility in this country where the right to vote is coming under assault to an extent never before seen in my lifetime or yours. And We are experiencing an existential crisis of public confidence in the integrity of our upcoming November elections. You know, is the post office going to be able to, are you going to be able to vote in person or not? Is the post office going to have the capacity wherewithal to get my ballot uh, to the person who's supposed to count it and make sure that my voice has been, has been uh, tabulated on, you know, in November Given the backdrop, our elections officials have to op- they just have to operate beyond beyond any shadow of reproach. They have to operate with bedrock, spotless integrity, and anything that casts a chink in the, that armor of uh, of integrity and unassailability is going to be used by Donald Trump and his people as a way of further delegitimizing our elections apparatus and further damaging public confidence in our political system. Well, somebody I feel like, Mark and Rich and Len, I got to tell you, watching that case unfold and reading the facts of the case, I think it's indisputable that there was a serious, serious problem with the way that this was handled, the, the way that her documents were seemingly manufactured. And these irregularities strike at the heart of, as you said, as our basic democracy. And if we can't trust the process, and what if this went unnoticed, right? This person, this deputy director, Laura Walters, and look, she, I want to be fair, she's going to have her, I assume that the state prosecutor is going to look at this and say, there's just no doubt. I'm sorry. The evidence is so unassailable that it is, it's bad. It, it is somebody has to be responsible for, for what happened when they file or when she filed, and somebody has to be held accountable. Otherwise, what do our elections matter? What do our what does the systems that we have in place? What do they matter? And if Alan McCarthy. If he wants a moral victory out of this, then every last waking moment should be dedicated to two things. One, serving out the remainder of his term in a dignified way and making sure that he sets up his successor for success. And number two is seeking justice at the local county board of elections that something like this, this irregularity, never happens again. And I don't know if anybody wants to comment on this, but I really want to talk. Yeah, go ahead, Richard. Um. So this can circle back kind of when we were talking about Andy Harris, and we're seeing 
at the same time as we have like a democratic kind of civil war between various regional and, and ideological wings, that the same thing is happening in the Maryland Republican Party. So <laughs> I think you could kind of put people in like an Andy Harris, like Neil Parrott, far right conservative. Versus Larry Hogan. Not, yeah, yeah, versus Larry Hogan. Uh, versus like, I guess you could say the boy, the uh, Rutherford, the Kelly Schultz wing. Mm. And this is another case That's where Dirk Hare is waiting in where there doesn't really even appear to be like an ideological reason why they're supporting Danielle outside of to accrue more power. And it's just, it's fascinating well, to watch. Her. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating to watch at the same time as like uh, the, the struggles within the Maryland democratic party. <laughs> and it leads me to question for 2022, who the, who the Republican party will end up uh, nominating for yeah. governor. Let's come back to that, but we have mm-hmm. to talk, uh, and that's a that's key. I want to talk about the Maryland Matters. Shout out to Josh Kurtz's piece mm-hmm. that he wrote. MarylandMatters.org is uh, just a, a premier site to follow for state politics. They have risen to the very top, and uh, they, they have manpower, more, much more so than I do. And uh, I give Kurtz and Bruce DePutt and the rest of his staff over there, lots of credit because they jump on stories and man, do they really cover the state. Uh, Hogan's chief of staff, Roy McGrath, resigned on Monday after it came to light. Last Thursday, the Baltimore Sun reported Pam Wood wrote a story that he got a severance package that was six figures. And when he left the Maryland Environmental Service, it's a an agency, a quasi, I think it's a quasi-independent agency in Maryland. He was their executive director. And McGrath was tapped by Hogan to become his next chief of staff. And so this thing went down where the sun, I don't know how they got it, but they got it. And and man, it, it, it changed the course of state politics that uh, he was Hogan's chief of staff. And basically, if he said that uh, this is commonplace. It yeah, there was nothing. He basically said there's nothing irregular about this. But Len, if you were in a state agency and you left voluntarily and you came over to serve uh, as a chief of staff, I mean you're in a, a prominent position right now as the chief of staff to Peter Francho. Um, getting a six-figure salary in the middle of of, of a global pandemic when Maryland's economy is in tatters. We're picking up the pieces in virtually every county. We're cutting, uh, we're cutting state finances across the board, the budget, and we have to do some austerity cuts. What do you, what do you make of this, Lynn? And then we'll go to Mark and Richard. A conversation for me to have because Roy McGrath is a friend of mine. Yeah, yeah. I've known him since he joined. And he was actually the first Board of Public Works liaison to Governor Hogan. And uh, I remember him as a very detailed, conscientious, and ethical public servant who actually served the taxpayers well by demanding uh, a higher standard of accountability. And we've maintained a cordial relationship. That said, this is this is inexplicable. This is inexplicable. I, I the, the the absence of judgment. Um, Does it you know, fall back to the governor? Does the buck stop at him? Well, let me let me just 
Yeah, I have some personal experience. I, when I was at Salisbury University, and I'm going, I'm going back to when Peter first won his his election in 2006. When and Mark remembers this, when we beat uh, Don Schaefer in the Democratic primary, and Peter was preparing to take office, and Mark yeah. was instrumental in that win as well. Um, I was preparing to leave Salisbury, and where I was serving as their lobbyist, and join uh, the Comptroller elect. And I had accrued a great deal of vacation time annually, sick, and I was entitled to a pretty big chunk. That was money that I had earned just by working overtime and weekends in a legislative hearing room for 18 hours. You know how you lobbyists in Annapolis. And I remember Joe Bryce, of all people, prepared to move to Governor O'Malley's new newly seated administration as his legislative director and joe said whatever you do do not take that payout yeah because feeding at the trough and i that i felt that advice i let it go um and one thing that as i've been watching this and I, i emphasize roy is a good guy but there was a breakdown in perception and judgment here just because you can, you can legally statute doesn't mean you should, you gotta be aware of the content. You gotta be aware of the environment around you and how it's going to look. Should that story make its way to the front page of the Washington post. And um, I, I think the problem has been exacerbated um, multiple times over by his attempts to explain the situation. Hmm. I know he didn't intend for it to be this way, but it's come across as condescending and pedantic, quite frankly, and trying to uh, present a lawyerly um, technical explanation for why he deserved the money, why it was permissible for him to do so. And I think in so doing, what he has done now is he has, rather than... Um, minimize the conflict. I think he has actually broadened the conflict because now not only do we have an issue about Roy McGrath, but the legislature is going to be taking a much deeper look into the executive practices of the Maryland Environmental Service, and they're going to be going up the food chain to figure out what Governor Hogan knew and when did he know it and whether he had anything to do with this transaction taking place. So when you are confronted with a crisis, rule number one is privatize the conflict, compress it, don't expand it. And, and unfortunately, it pains me to say that's, that's what Roy has done over the past week, I believe. He said last Monday that it became a distraction. And I knew that once this story, whether it was fair or unfair, and seemingly it, 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 Mr. McGrath, whom I know a little bit, and you're right, Len, he, he is a good guy. Roy is a he good is. guy. And he means well. He's committed himself to public service. However, there was there many lawmakers I've seen on Twitter and Facebook. I mean, they just blew it up, and they blew him up in a way that it's sort of hard to punch back, and that does become a distraction. Think about it. Think about what happened in Montgomery County with Andrew Klein. We weren't letting that up. I know that I wasn't letting it go. Mark Elrich had said very little. He basically said, look, the Ethics Commission said what it is, and we're going to keep going. And the the media just kept talking about it. Council members, 
Now, they never called on him to resign, despite what Tom Hucker, you know, who, you know, his, his, um, you know, dipping his little toes into the water. Um, he Mr. wants to comptroller. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know that he's busy running for comptroller and all, but, uh, Tom Hucker never called on him to resign. None of these guys did. And, I, but I, I gotta tell you, Andrew Friedson stepped up. He stepped up hard and really pushed back. But here's the thing. That became a distraction. How could Mark Elrich effectively govern the state's largest jurisdiction when somebody was found to be an an ethical, had violated basic ethics laws, skimming money off the top of taxpayers? He had to go. He should have gone the second that this report came out. But this, even though, I think there's going to be a lot more that's come out on this story, and I'm going to put out something tonight, but I want Mark's opinion on this and Rich's opinion. Mark, from... From the Democratic side, you know, as you are a guy that wholeheartedly, stalwartly, and passionately supports working men and women, right? How does that look to working class citizens in Maryland? Oh, it's just, it's awful. It's, it's, it's horrendous. And, and, and I appreciate uh, uh, Len's analogy um, to when he left Salisbury. But I'll tell you what, Len, if I were in your position, I'm keeping my leave. I earned that, okay? But this was not leave. This was a severance, okay? Usually you don't get a severance if you weren't fired, you know, or you didn't negotiate a severance. You don't get a severance because you left for another job voluntarily, a job that, mind you, whose salary was raised to basically meet what you were making at MES. You know, I'll tell you, this must have some real bodies buried because I interviewed the Lieutenant governor on my show on Wednesday Hmm. and I have never seen such, I mean, usually Boyd doesn't even have a pulse, but, uh, but he, he was so candid in his anger about it. Maybe it was fiend, but really, I didn't. Yes. I didn't feel that it was fiend. He said quite clearly, look, I didn't know about this. If I'd have known about this, there would have been blood on the floor. And I'll tell you what, there are a whole lot of people out there who are saying they didn't know about it that I know did know about it. Hmm. And I was, my mouth was hanging open to listen to him. Either he's much more politically savvy than I'm thinking, or this really pissed him off. You know, and so the fact that he was, you know, freelancing to that extent tells me that either Hogan has cut this guy loose you know, more than just from the job, but just period. I mean, the idea that you would get a year's salary worth of severance for a voluntary departure is just absurd. I don't don't know where else you would get, you know, the golden parachute comes when you retire or whether, or when they're tired of you, but you don't get a golden parachute for taking a better job. And the golden parachute is a term that was, memorialized in the private sector. And I I want to put a fine highlighted point on this. And this is a counter to the op-ed piece that Roy wrote for the, and and appeared in the uh, Baltimore Sun this morning. The MES is a quasi public agency. And I want to emphasize public agency. It has a different administrative structure so it actually has the flexibility to undertake large infrastructure projects that might be beyond the wherewithal of DNR, the Maryland Department of the Environment. But 
it is sustained by fees from state and local government entities. It's and and agency. as public as AFSCME has as AFSCME has tried to unionize them year after year, <laughs> they have to come to Annapolis and go before the legislature. That's that exactly will tell right. you the public nature of the MES. So, Richard, does this does this thing keep going? Do you, what do you, what else do you think's beneath the surface here? And I, I, how much do you think that Hogan said, all right, you know how these things go. We know how resignations go down sometimes. Either they say, all right, Mr. Governor, or I, you know, Governor Hogan, I, I just, I can't stay on. I support you, but I don't want you to take any political hits. You know, you're thinking about running for president. I want to do the right thing here. Or the governor calls him up and says, um, I'm going to let you resign. And uh, I really like you. You're a good friend of mine, but we just can't have this, and it's time to go. How, how do you— It's the latter. I just wonder how this thing went down. And yeah, I know we'll I, never I, find out. I, I would imagine it's the latter. And this goes yeah. back to the, this Republican civil war of, like, there is a sort of political machine in getting people jobs. And uh, um, uh, McGrath was able to exploit that in this case. And this goes to, like, Maryland just as a whole— how there is so much public money that people are able to either sweep into a business like uh, certain senators in Annapolis who have a, a company adjoined with the Montgomery County liquor monopoly. And it, it, <laughs> it, 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 it it's at the heart of so much Oof. here where, where people are able to profiteer either from their governmental position or their relationship with other people. Um, and I, I think that like personally, if we had a state prosecutor who could truthfully look at somebody like Doug Peters or somebody like Brian Kramer, or excuse me, Ben Kramer, Ben Kramer, to see that it's impossible for them to actually be. You just uh, got a smirk from Foxwell. <laughs> I'll, I'll talk shit on people who make their money from not having to do anything themselves. Please take it easy on Ben Kramer. Oh. <laughs> Len is very sensitive about that subject. You know, he's actually a good guy. Yeah, it's a thing. Len, you know, Ben, ben and his and his sister, um, Rona, she, they're, they're actually good people. They just happen to be... Uh, Rona was my first scout as SEIU political director with Chan right. Montgomery. Wow. Um, <laughs> hey, fellas, I, I, Richard, do you want to? Did you have any more points on that, or because I, I want to read a? That's pretty much it. Like we, we just need thorough investigations of uh, of conflict of interest from top to bottom throughout the state. In yeah. my opinion, I got a comment here. I got to say that I mean, look at this crew we got here: Foxwell, Deshay Elliott. <laughs> Mark McLe I mean, this is this is Barry O'Connell's dream right here. There it is. <laughs> Although I think we've fallen out. I, no, you know what? I like Barry. I just haven't talked to him for a while, and I haven't been following the Maryland Politics Group. I hope everything is is copacetic mm -hmm. in that group. Is it good, Richard? Is everything all right in there? Oh yeah, there was somebody who um who accused Barry of being a socialist. Oh. And just the, the general commentary amount of, of the, and the general community laughter around it made it, made it fun to witness. No, oh, we need And he's way. actually, he's actually a McCarthyite. How are right. you a socialist? All, all we need. Uh, by the way, I, I do think he was kicked out of the Eastern community page. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had, the, the, the thing he wrote in there was one of the funniest reads I've ever oh had. Oh my God. All we that need tonight. All we need tonight is Leo Thuman to, to, to complete the crew. Um, no, I, but, but, but Ryan, I have to say, uh, I was actually 
the, the night that the, the morning after Barry wrote that incredible had that incredible dialogue, and Rich knows what I'm talking about. I was actually I was actually stopping by our Harris Teeter on the bypass to uh, pick up a couple things for lunch that day, and a prominent business owner who was on that page came up to me and said, "Who is Barry O'Connell?" <laughs> he said. Who is Barry O'Connor? Who is Barry O'Connor? And is he one of your people? And I said, it's Barry O'Connell. And why don't we just part ways and just, with, you know, you're on a need to know basis and let's get together for a drink sometime when all the COVID stuff is behind us. Yeah, build mystique so, around him. Yeah, there is kind of a mystique around him. Yeah, but, I, I think but, you're but, right. But the, but something on the Roy McGrath thing, you know, I teach crisis communication in my mm. class a week from Thursday, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and we subdivide crises into three tranches, crisis of character, crisis of confidence, crisis of circumstance. And when you are confronted with a crisis of character, and I think this would fall into that bucket mm-hmm. uh, because it speaks to the notion of, gre- of um, public greed, uh, this is very simple. You apologize. Whether you, whether you feel like you, you, you did something to apologize for or not, you apologize and then you lay low. And issues come and go in our society with such velocity. Yeah. But if he had just let it go last week, mm-hmm. we would have already forgotten about it. Instead, he's keeping it going. He's posting on social media. He's writing op-ed pieces. And he is keeping the the uh the the uh the coals the ember stoked here and he is extending his own negative news cycle i wish someone who loves roy and cares about him maybe he's watching tonight i just it, hope someone would get him off of facebook and take the pen and pen away from him so he doesn't keep this going any further because it is a really bad look for him well, Lynn, did he you- ever return the money did he return the money I don't think that's been I don't think that's been uh, a point of the discussion, but I can't imagine. Right, that, but I'm I'm yeah, saying I mean, that's, that's that the thing. It's it's hard to lay low and keep the money, you know. Because well, I think I think if you're going to keep the money, I think the only thing you can do is lay low. Right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Well, that's look, true. You say I was entitled to it. It was a board decision. We, I'm just going to go have a bottle of wine for lunch every day. <laughs> an extra quarter of a million dollars. Uh, and I'm sure he has some leave from state government from his accumulated service uh, over six years in the Hogan administration. So, mm-hmm. but this uh, this kind of public defense is not working out well for Roy McGrath. Well, well oh, put. Ryan, I got one more thing on it. Okay, and, guys, we got to move on though. Yeah, we got to keep moving. Uh, but one more. It's it's interesting that this was so quick to get a hearing when we still have no progress on a special session. That's it. That's it. No, that's a fair point. And we could go back into special session. Um, I don't know where we stand on that. It's likely unlikely, I I predict. Mm -hmm. But um, there's a there's there's quite a bit to tackle. Um, You know, I was going to put out a I was going to put out a letter because I I've gotten a data dump on this story. Okay, and I'll just say this and maybe I'll tease it for one more day or two. But there. (laughs) I got some stuff on this, and maybe other media outlets have it. I don't know. I, I assume that they do because I'm just little a minor detail who can ask questions. But 
I've got some stuff that I'm going to put out about the MES that I think it's public. I'm going to get all sides to talk about it, but there are employees, a number of them writing me emails every couple of days saying, you really look should look into this. I'm getting copies of emails that are being sent, and I'm getting copies of just some stuff. That's all I can I can say. And maybe it's not fair to tease it, but anyway, have you guys been following the story about what's happening in Wicomico County? I'll tell you, that was a shocker the other night. And uh, yes, yeah. Mark, you brought up Carl's, um, and we're talking about state delegate. Um, uh, why am I drawing a blank on his Carl name? Carl yeah, Anderton. Carl, Carl Anderton's video. But this guy, uh, the, the, Bob Culver, very sadly passed away. And he's the county executive of Wicomico County. And now the council has to choose in the charter. Man, that's an interesting way to choose. Having politicians choose the next county executive when you know that that's susceptible to partisan leanings and really just mm-hmm. raw politics. I don't know if they can change the charter, but I imagine that some commission will be drafted to think about how they can f- overhaul the whole process there. So Carl Henderson was a mayor. He's been a state delegate. He's well-respected across the aisle. He's not a I wouldn't classify Carl Anderton as a partisan. Carl Anderton really has good relationships with lots of lawmakers, and he goes down, he goes up to Annapolis, and he gets things accomplished, and people really like him. He's congenial. He's, he's, he's quite funny. He's known for his uh, outsized personality, and he's just at heart a fundamentally decent man. So yeah. Carl Anderton uh, really had the front line on what we thought he would become. I thought he would become the next county executive, but it turns out that politics and politicians said otherwise. Uh, a guy, Lynn, you put a post up and you said, look, nothing against, is it Dr. Renee? What's his name, Renee? Renee, and I may be butchering the phonetics, but I believe it's Renee Desjardins. Okay, so Renee Desjardins. I uh, he, he, he seems like a smart guy. And I, we want to be fair to him because, look, he applied, he got a point, so he did nothing wrong. But really, Carl Anderton was clearly the more qualified person. He put together a whole packet for the council. I just want to know what the heck went down. And I reached out to Larry Dodd, and Larry Dodd's not going to respond to me. I mean, they're not going to tell us really why this went down. But any guesses what happened? Does anybody well, really know what the hell happened in this? Sure. I mean, Ryan, it's pretty obvious. I mean, and. I mean, part of this is just the the gross negligence and the irresponsibility of the Wicomico County Council by turning the apparatus of county government over to someone who, while he may be a, a good person and an accomplished cardiologist, has absolutely no governing experience. The process is fatally flawed. I mean, here you have a county council and picking the next county executive. Yeah. Uh, not only is that an affront to the whole constitutional principle of separation of powers, because right off the bat, the county executive is grateful to the council for his or her appointment, and therefore, uh, in a you know in a uh, subordinate position, because hey, I put you know you know hey, Mr. Executive, I put you there. Hmm. But uh, what also happened clearly is. Uh, there was a combination of two factors. One is that there were some there were some internecine political resentments and 
backroom dealings and personality conflicts at play because that's just the nature of the political business. Also, we're dealing with county council members, some of whom, when they look at themselves in the mirror in the morning, see themselves as a potential future executive. And rather than uh, appointing Carl Anderton, who is a political powerhouse in Wicomico County, to the point where he ran unopposed in both his Republican primary and in the general election in 2018. That's a testament to his political potency in Wicomico. They wanted to pick somebody who was a relative, who would be a relatively easy out. It's not dissimilar to what happened when John Leopold got in trouble in Anandale County, and the uh, and the Central Committee went with the relatively unknown, unproven inexperienced Laura Newman, who went on to get routed by Steve Shu in the 2014 Republican Party. That was brutal. So you have a mixture of of petty internecine politics and ranked political ambition. And as a result, Wicomico County, which is now facing the same public health, economic, and social crises, that jurisdictions across Maryland and the country are facing is now gonna be led by somebody who is a complete unknown. You know, I talked to one of the most respected and prominent business leaders in Wicomico County the, uh, the evening of the vote and said, I pride myself on having a pretty good read on Eastern Shore politics. Hmm. I've never heard of this guy, what's wrong with me? He said, Len, <laughs> never heard of the guy either. And this was a this is a this is a this is a business and civic leader who had been uh, an elected official for several years. Never heard of the guy. So well, look, I have some. I, I, I hope some, he does well, but he's it's he's behind the eight ball, and this is not a this is not a job, and this is not a situation in time that calls for on the job training. So I'm I got some background on this, and I won't say who because they asked me not to. But they said only one council person's offered an explanation as to their reasons, and it was illogical and, and incoherent. The other three were silent. Looking at the process and the agenda, seeking public input was a sham. Uh, this has potential to, to be a statewide issue. In many ways, this is all about who controls county government because the Wicomico County Charter is a cluster, you know what, and they said Monday will be very interesting. So is this another... Is this another uh, political regional battle where Andy Harris controls? Is this uh, maybe Carl Anderton is too moderate and they want to have somebody that they control and they know that Carl Anderton will be uh, his own person? Len, Len, everything you said before, I think was like, that's how I was going to read it to you, that I thought they chose a weak person so that that person would have no shot of winning re-election and then one of the council members would be able to primary them or convince Sad. them not to run. And doing that in the middle of a pandemic is literally an assault on your own citizens, in my opinion. Look, I agree. Uh, God rest the soul of Bob Culver. Bob, uh, Bob Culver. Uh, you know, we've had our issues with Bob Culver on on some of, on some things, but I will say that he was a, a true man of integrity. He was a he was a good man. He really was, and. I didn't always agree with his policies, but uh, he, he, I think he really had looked out for what's best for the county. Uh, Mark, Mark, what do you think about this? Well, I mean, I, I think, obviously, I was really 
you know, I didn't know the situation that that well, but it seems to me that in addition to picking the guy they didn't know, there must have been some kind of smear campaign against Delegate Anderton based on his yeah. educational I attainment. And I, I didn't either, but he was clear. I mean, he was in tears and I was in tears yeah, like, oh, God, funny. I don't even agree with this guy on anything. But if that's what went down, that's pretty that's pretty awful. Yeah, you know, to, like, just to make fun of somebody or to to put someone down because they didn't have a, a degree. And Carl Anderton has has worked hard his entire life. And I, I, I'm I'm def- I'm defending him on the merits that he was qualified. Right, and right. I don't know what happened or what underground campaign he referenced it briefly, but you can tell just how deeply passionate he was. Oh, he chose, he was talking about his dad and I was dad said it was okay. And that's why he did it. And he wanted, yeah. I mean, it was really, it was awful. Yeah. Well, maybe my, he'll my, run again. I wanted to, maybe I hope run. so. My well, phone is down to 4%. So I'm going to have to leave you guys. Early, okay. But what I wanted to tell, what I wanted to get to next time is the, Bloody Wednesday at the Baltimore City Democratic Central Committee, oh. where a quarter of them got kicked off for not showing up. That's another show. And, uh, That's, that should be sometime this yes. week. Been... <laughs> yes. Tell Corey yes, but... I said congrats. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and Tiffany Jones, I think, is a sneak pick for the 45th D- District Central Committee. Tiffany oh, Jones. There's, there's a whole bumper crop. Right. But anyway, so we'll talk about that. But I wanted to. Thank you for inviting me, Ryan. I'm sorry I have to duck out early. Welcome anytime. Um, but but thank you, guys. Len, it's always a pleasure. I'll see you, Richard. Hey, great hey, to have you, man. You're good, Mark. Thanks. Great guy. Bye-bye. We love him. <laughs> um, well, I mean, Ryan, I just want to just want to say, listen, I uh, there's going to be an event tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Yeah. in Salisbury, the Greater Salisbury Committee, the Chamber of Commerce, you know, the the, the civic and economic leadership of 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 Wicomico County is going to come together and talk about exactly what happened and why it matters yeah. so much. But I mean, obviously Renee Desjardins or Desjardins is going to be the County executive. Yeah. For two more years. I hope that he does takes the following steps. Number one, if he hasn't done so already, he has to reach out to Carl Anderton. Yeah. Number two, I would hope that he reaches out post haste, to Rick Pollitt, who was the first Wicomico County executive, a guy with an, an inexhaustible knowledge of, of how to lead a county uh, just to get some pointers. And I think he should also reach out and connect with Laura Newman. Well, that's uh, it. Yeah. Laura was in the same situation, having been an appointed, having been secured an appointment without having held elected office previously. And it's a unique position with some unique political imperatives. I hope he I hope he takes the the uh, the, the the reins and listens more than he talks and attempts to smooth more some of the waters that have been stirred by the manner in which he came to power. Oh, uh, Len, I'll give you one prediction right now. In 2022, uh, Dr. Renee is going to be running for delegate against De- uh, Delegate Anderton with the full support of the Wacomico County Republicans. <laughs> that is my prediction right now. Well, that's interesting. Uh, uh, the dude was a 2014 candidate for delegate. Yeah. He was in, that's, that's, he was running in my district and I didn't even know who the guy was. And I, like I said, I usually take great pride in, you know, and knowing kind of the political players here on the shore. I've never heard of the guy. Richard, but, break down the Maryland Matters article. Oh, goodness. 
Well, I take immense pride in that I was not a source and the opinions I've been espousing in private phone calls for two or three months were the ones in the article. Well, I sure as so, hell wasn't a source. <laughs> so we can start with Governor. Um, the piece for a Maryland Matters article is very positive about Francho, and I think it's very accurate. Francho has the year and a half lead on running. Uh, I don't think anybody else will be able to announce at least until like the end of this year Who's or the run? start of next year. Um, uh, Francho is going to have the ability to get, you know, this, the jurisdictional teams uh, to keep pressing the flesh with all the people and to build up that that vision for governance. Whereas like when Anthony Brown or Trone gets in the race, they're probably just going to spend a bunch of money, do commercials, rely on the traditional networks. And that's probably not going to be enough. And Anthony Brown actually might not even be running. He might just seed it, remain in the House of uh, in the House of Representatives and do a, and do as he does. Um, I do not believe Angela also Brooks or Johnny O will be candidates. Hmm. Neither of them had enough support in their home jurisdiction to give them a guarantee. Johnny O, you know, got that 33 and a, and, and a quarter in order to beat out Brochin and Allman. Right now, he would lose to uh, Francho in Baltimore County. If Johnny O can't carry Baltimore County, he's never going to be governor. And Angela also Brooks only got about 63 percent in Prince George's. With the support of the all-powerful slate, add in a reduction for COVID numbers and her lackluster fundraising, lack of a statewide network really for actual political organizing, and she's not in a great spot. And then we can talk about Tr Trone's a, a joke, a meme. He's going to spend $30 million. Um, I'm going to steer a bunch of people to work for his campaign. It's going to be like Bloomberg 2.0 but for the state of Maryland. And I think it'll, he'll get a, you know, a royal 15% well, uh, on his $30 million investment. Well, you know, interesting. We have the the person who is closest to Peter Francho, his chief of staff, Lynn Foxwell. And, I didn't know. And uh, look, Len, a couple of points. If Also, Brooks seemingly would be, at least in my opinion and analysis, which is not much other than me thinking about it, wouldn't wouldn't you think that she would be? I mean, she's a she's a ferocious, smart, tough, uh, just hugely uh, promising person uh, and and an official. It's the middle of a global pandemic. We don't know where we're going to be in two years. But wouldn't you think if if she did jump in, because Peter's already announced, uh, do you think that she would be her, his toughest competition? You know, it, it's it's hard to say. And listen, I'm. I'm so far inside the looking glass, as they say, I can't, I, I wouldn't even pretend to have an objective opinion on this. Well, that's fair. Um, well, I, listen. Um, and I'm I know, and you don't have to get into it if you don't want. No, I, but what, I'll, what I'll say is I, I, I tell my kid, you know, I, I'm a little league coach, as you know, and the one thing I always tell my young players is, first and foremost, control the controllables. <laughs> and year two of a, of a gubernatorial cycle is always what I call the thinking season. Everybody is testing the waters, you know, putting out, you know, putting out feelers, putting out, you know, putting out tea leaves, um, having conversations on that proverbial bar stool with Harry Browns with lobbyists <laughs> and, you know, and client journalists and legislative staffers. And it's just part of the process. Press releases to the basement of the state capitol. Maybe a few of those as well. Yeah. What I will say is that I know I've known Peter now for 20 years and I, and I, I know how he is spending his days. He is not listening to any 
he he read the Josh Kurtz piece that had him basically projected as the prohibitive front runner. Hmm. He took it, put it aside, and said, I'm getting back to call time. Hmm. Uh, Peter Franco is going to run for governor like he's at 1% in the polls, and he's got three weeks left to go. He is not going to let himself think about himself as the front runner. He's not going to start measuring the drapes in the in the state house. Uh, we the the graveyard of Maryland politics is filled with people who got too cocky, too quick, uh, and didn't have an organization. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think what I do think is that so he's not going to be a Rashern Baker. He's what Peter is going to have is. And obviously, you know what his money situation is because we have we have yeah. public finance reports. He is also well on his way to building, uh, thanks to some great work on his campaign side, um, can, you know, steering committees and real active organizations in all 24 Maryland jurisdictions. And Rich knows exactly some of the people we've been talking with here in Prince George's County, and they're really good people. Well, um, I'm hoping you enlist... Charlotte Alfton Brink up in Boonesboro, Maryland for Washington County. That, that, that goes without saying. <laughs> um, and you know she's a strong supporter of Peter's. Dan's Tap House, if you're listening, I have to plug Dan's Tap House. Please visit Dan's Tap House up in Boonesboro, Maryland. They have been on the forefront of leading not only a movement, but having the best cuisine in Washington County. And but, 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 uh, let me just close the thought. I mean, I... Listen, you know, you can do you can do everything right mechanically and still lose an election for yeah. any number of reasons. I mean, maybe the the, the man in the moment uh, aren't in sync or whatever. Um, I don't think that's going to happen to Peter. I think he's going to run and I know he's going to run and I believe he's going to win. But what I can assure you, Ryan and, and Richard, is that you will never see him take his foot off the gas pedal. You'll never see him become overconfident or complacent for a second. Yeah. Um, he's going to keep running just like he did that first race against Don Schaefer back in 2006 when he was literally at 1% in the polls, and that was also his statewide voter ID. You know what's most interesting is the the, the race to replace him. Len, have you guys thought about any of the candidates? I don't. I'm sure that some of the aspiring candidates have considered at least to – to talk to you guys, but it seems to me Brooke Learman is running. She's running hard. She's got the famed Learman name. Her dad, Terry Learman, is is a is a pretty well known figure in the Maryland Democratic Party. Brooke Learman is an astute, smart, and extremely capable lawmaker from Baltimore City. She hails from the same district as the Senate president. So I see that. Uh, and I also see someone like uh, Brian Feldman could be a, 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 a very reasonable choice from District 15. I see a Barry Glassman as someone uh, on the Republican side as a, as a reasonable choice for Comptroller. I think that it's a joke that Tom Hucker is running. He should stop. He should focus on Montgomery County. Tom Hucker's never going to be the Comptroller. Tom Hucker is one of the least of dreams up. Let him get his dreams and well, hopes up. Please. But you know what? Here's the thing. He's telling those Tacoma Park Democrats once in a while they, they do <laughs> cash. Dave, could, look, and I love Dave, his chief of staff. Dave is one of the finest guys in state politics, a truly decent and honorable human being. And look, I don't uh, – uh, Tom Hucker is fine. Tom Hucker is not going to be 
comptroller. And I'm just going to say it, and I'm putting it out there. He's not going to be comptroller. Let it go. Focus on Montgomery County. We've got a lot of stuff going on in Montgomery. So, but Ryan, but Ryan, you did point out Brooke Learman at the outset, and I will say, I will yeah. disclose something that um, I had uh, I, I had drinks with Brooke here on Friday night uh, in Easton, and she was she was on a tour of the Eastern Shore, just talking to people in a low key way, the boss asking for advice, getting a sense of some of the issues. And I, and she uh, she wrapped up her day by, um, and we had a and we had a, a good conversation yeah. on the patio at Tidewater Inn. I know she's doing the same thing in Southern Maryland, Western Maryland, um, DC. Obviously, where her dad you know has a pretty exhaustive network. It's one thing to sit on the bar stool at Harry Brown's up on the up on that bar stool and talk about running for statewide office. It takes an, a higher level of commitment to actually get in the car and travel to some of these far-flung places where you've never had your name on the ballot mm-hmm. and doing that. Well, you did not mention another name that I want to throw out there, and that's Tim Adams, the mayor of Bowie. Yeah, Tim Adams is an intriguing candidate. Uh, he would bring diversity to the statewide Democratic ticket. Yeah, uh, he is a. Success- you mean this guy? There he is. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, That's it. Did we lose Lynn? Impressive advisors that are that are now scoping, laying out the strategy uh, and footprint for a statewide race. Well, uh, Brooke has a head start, but Tim Adams is not to be tried for. Two more things. One is that whatever happens in the attorney general race, I mean, uh, the, the 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 attorney general could end up not running again and brian frosh could say hey listen i'm i'm done uh i don't know maybe he'll run for governor who knows i haven't heard that but i it's certainly a possibility yeah i I expect that near the end of this race particularly if anthony brown doesn't run they'll just do in case of in case of franchise break glass oh (laughs) frosh is i think the glass in that case well uh and and i hear another name from the city of Gaithersburg, who could potentially be a sleeper, and that's uh, Councilman uh, Ryan Spiegel. Uh, there is some rumblings that he might be running for Attorney General of Maryland. Who? <laughs> look him up, Councilman Ryan, Ryan Spiegel. I'll look, I'll look him up. I think great, I'm, I think I'm friends with guy. him. He's a great yeah. guy. All right, um, as we wrap up this segment, I want to mention one more thing. And I just want to talk about it very briefly, and then I'll let you guys go because it's nearing the, <laughs> the the witching hour. Um, Kim Klasik is going to speak at the Republican National Convention. She put out an ad where she walks through Baltimore City and points out all the things that are wrong with Baltimore City. And she blames Democrats, and I didn't notice a single solution. Uh, Kathy Shalega is railing against the Baltimore Sun. Justin Reedy, who never misses an opportunity to put his name forward for something higher than he'll never be, um, is is railing against it. It's elitist, blah, blah, blah. But the fact is, is that I saw the ad. It was a well-produced ad. Aesthetically, it was a good ad. She Mm -hmm. is a perfect representation of the Trump model where she looks – the aesthetics are there, but there's no underlying policy solutions to back it up. So mm-hmm. any thoughts on the ad? Um, I thought like, yeah, the ad was like for a political ad 
to attract attention, it was great. You know, for like for like clickbait, it was great. Sure. I think that in the ad, ooh, hold on. In the ad, in the ad, if she had talked about solutions, you know, said anything about her platform at all, because she actually, relative to a lot of Republicans, is admittedly more liberal on certain things. She's it's called herself a like, moderate. Yeah, like she's just she's a firebrand, but she like is for a Republican moderate on a couple of things. Or even call out problems. Hey, the property tax rate is too high. Hey, we give out too much money in tips and uh, and, and and reducing taxes for these or really any of the actual problems. But it, it was a gotcha. Uh, and for what several people have told me and for what I believe, she knows she can't win the race. She's running so that she can get a news slot, probably with Fox News National or Fox 45. And for that purpose already getting her the RNC slot, the ad was genius. And it, it, it probably achieved the goal unto itself. Now she wants to. I agree with everything Rich said. I yeah. completely agree. Is it, is it worth even discussing the possibility that she wins this race? No. no. Okay. Because I think that in the, this might propel her to get a few more votes, but I still think that if it's between her and longtime Congressman Kwaze and Fume, and Fume, if I were him and his press people, I would have just said, you know what? I'm not even going to respond to that. I'm just going to keep my head down and continue to work for the people of the 7th District. Uh, well, hey, if, voters, if voters were that gullible, then Mary Miller, you know, and if they, if they were that influenced by, by good ads, then Mary Miller would be the Democratic world nominee now because she just absolutely flooded the airwaves throughout the COVID pandemic when we had nothing to do. Mm -hmm. TV, um, yeah. Not I'm not comparing Mary Miller. To Mary Miller is a wonderful, substantive person, but it takes more than a good ad to, um, you know, to overcome years, decades of effective what, public. What does it say that Kim, Kimberly Klasik will be speaking at the Republican National Convention, mm -hmm. and yet the state's most prominent Republican figure? I don't even know if he was invited or he probably wants nothing to do with it. But do you think that this will bolster her ego thinking that, I mean, who knows? Could we see a Kimberly Klasik run for governor in 2022? I, I was going to say that she could very well end up running in one of these deep red, like the future District 6, which I assume is going to be redrawn oh, as Republican or District 2 or District 1. Uh, she's going to get, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars as a result of that ad and the RNC yeah. uh, in Maryland for a lot of like the Hogan block Republicans. They're like for paper or for, you know, for this kind of a news cycle, they're boring. So we could see you know a, new, uh, a potential future where Kim Klasik is running for Congress in District 2, has the endorsement of, of Bob Ehrlich, has the endorsement of Trump, Who? has the endorsement of Andy Harris. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, and and I I don't know what the end goal here is, but she's building a Twitter following, and maybe I I kind of I, I place her on the same level as as Dan Bongino, but yeah, um, less. I think she's trying to become, a, and she's she. I, I think Rich, I go back to your first point. She's she's parlaying her fifteen minutes of fame into uh, a future as a as a media personality, yeah. as a as commentator, a brand. Yeah, I mean, she yeah. made fun of this show once, but she came on it, and I did a an hour long sure. interview with her. But she she told me, "You have no platform. You're you're nobody knows who you are," and I I think and and whatever that means, that's fine. I mean, I I I fully am aware that 
there's a limitation here, but I've built this organically, and I, I, I think that I'm still going to be around. I'm still going to be in Maryland, and I'm still going to be doing this five years from now, and I'm going to have this thing growing bigger and bigger, and if I just get one more listener, that's fine, but is Kim Klasik really going to be in Maryland for the long haul? Is she really going to... I mean, why not, why not run for a, a delegate seat? And I'm not telling her, hey, this is not a white guy over here trying to give her a political advice about what she should do as a woman. All I'm saying is, is that uh, she has made some really harsh criticisms of the state. Really tough well, criticisms. If, if, she's, if she's truly that concerned about, about the, the city... The- more problems, you know, homelessness and food insecurity and decaying residential blocks and everything else that she chastised in her walk through the city, then she should run for a seat on the city council. She might, she might even win. And, and, and she's, a, she's on the Baltimore County Democratic Central or Republican Central Uh-oh. Committee in like District 6, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if she was really wild and she could run for state senate there, well, uh, she has the money, she'll have the yeah. clout. But uh, uh, probably, from, probably from her perspective, it's just it's easier and it's more fun to get a big, well-paid media job in the in the future that she'll be able to hold for a long time. Well, yeah. I hope there's a watch party at the Gentleman's Club <laughs> down there in, uh, and uh, I don't know, what is it, Dundalk or Pulaski Highway. So... Um, my, my hat is off to anyone who puts their name on the ballot, except when the ballot is not legally registered the proper way. Foxwell, do you have any final words about tonight? This was a great discussion. The first half, man, we were, I mean, just a fire, fiery, important discussion. Any final thoughts as you head out to your day tomorrow? Uh, Ryan, I just thank you for this entire uh, evening for the opportunity to come on and most important, Thank you for the opportunity to talk about exactly what that statue is all about in Talbot County, why it has to come down now, and what the very real consequences will likely be if we don't step up as a county and do the right thing. Um, this issue is, Corey was right, this issue isn't going anywhere, neither am I. This thing is living on borrowed time, and it has to come down wow. to a moral injustice and an economic train wreck. Okay. Uh, Rich, my friend, uh, the, st- the candidate, Richard Deshay, Helen. I'd like to come back on with you at some point and talk about the uh, Republicans for 2022, because I think that's going to be even more interesting of a story to me than the Democrats. The Democrats, I can have an influence on it and I think move you know, some votes here and there. For the Republicans, the breakdown in the party right now, I think it's just it's fascinating to watch with like, you know, Kim Klasik's and uh, Andy Harris's on, on the same, you know, running against the Schultz's and Rutherford. You want to know who the ticket will be for the Republicans? Oh, who do you think so? I think it's going to be Rutherford and Schultz. Hmm, I, I think there could be nonsense enough of a scenario that either an Andy Harris or... Shit's, if shit's really weird, a Robin Ficker can end up winning. Really? Wow. If, if, if there is a Republican backlash in 2022, a lot to like the 94 Republican uh, uh, wave mm-hmm. where there's an, ins- there's an insurgency both against liberalism and against the party's natural status. Because I think Ho- Hogan is a once in a generation 
politician, not just Democratic or Republican, just a once in a generation politician for the state. Uh, hold on. Hmm. Well, you made um, Robin Thicker's night. Uh, I, he is currently going around the state, talking with people, taking lots of pictures. I think honing in on a message that like, although he's doing it for a completely different reason than me that I agree with, we need to decrease the yeah. sales tax. I don't think Robin has the votes. I think it would take like a really crazy three or four way primary, but a non Hoganite basically, I think will end up winning the next gubernatorial uh, primary. Good points. Robin Ficker to this day is still Montgomery County's most effective political activist. And I don't care what anybody, he has gotten things on the ballots. He's gotten term limits. Uh, now they, they have the nine council districts on the ballot um, and, and good for uh, the that that the the woman who went out and collected those signatures, uh, and and I, it took some serious work. But uh, gentlemen, I want to say thank you to you both for your time. Yeah. I really appreciate thank it. You. I know that you guys could be doing anything else, but this. But you chose to spend uh, two hours with me tonight. And Len, um, I just still rem- I got to bring this up. I still remember our first night doing a live show over at Wet City. Nothing worked. We you know we're drinking beers. It was on radio. We had no setup like this. It, it just was complete, uh, you know, third-rate operation, but we still, no less, had an amazing time doing it. It was fun, and we've grown this podcast to something, to, uh, I think, where we talk about some really big issues in a fun and engaging way. A long way, right? We've come. Yeah, we really have. And uh, have a long way to go, man. And I appreciate all the support. Ryan, thank you. Rich, it's always great to see you, my friend. Thanks thank for the- you. Fellas, have a great night and a, and a happy week. You Be too. Good. Peace. All right. Bye-bye. See you guys later. All right. Okay. Uh, that's That should wrap it up. And I want to encourage you just one more time. Visit a minor detail podcast on a minor slash podcast. You, you can subscribe and like it. We're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, we're on iHeart. Yeah, I said iHeartRadio. <laughs> it's late. And then you can share this episode. Go ahead and click the share uh, on your personal page. We're on YouTube, youtube.com slash Ryan Minor, R Y A N M I N E R. Look, you can see it. I'm pointing to the wrong, look, up here. I'm trying to, ah, there it is. There it is. And then you can also go to a aminordetail.com slash newsletter and sign up for the daily newsletter that will arrive in your email inbox. I promise I'm not going to spam you. I'm not going to give you any worthless crap that you're going to have to read. It's just going to be Maryland News. And uh, again, this podcast was sponsored by Care Plus. Home Health, Care Plus Home Health is Maryland's leading home care agency. They do home care, they do personal care, companionship, and especially in a time of COVID, senior citizens are lonely. They're suffering the effects of depression, they have anxiety, and what better way to help your aging mom or dad or a grandparent or your aunts and uncles uh, or your spouse with HomeCareCarePlusInc.com, 240-888-9063, 240-888-9063, inccom is their website, and they are the sponsor of tonight's podcast. My name is Ryan Miner. 
I'm the editor-in-chief of a aminordetail.com. I appreciate your listenership. Please subscribe. Please like. Do all the social media stuff. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at A Minor Detail. And look, there I am. You can follow me personally. Twitter still hasn't found the necessity to uh, certify or verify me or whatever they call it. Maybe someday I'll get lucky. That's like my ultimate goal in life. But uh, again, thank you for listening. Good show tonight. Check us out, aminordetail.com. Y'all have a safe and happy and healthy and wear your masks. Please wear your mask, social distance, follow the CDC guidelines. The Republican National Convention is tomorrow night. We'll be following that. Uh, Their lineup looks like the McBoyle family from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I'm interested to see what Scott Baio has to say. Yeah. Uh, So I will be paying careful attention. Maybe Stormy Daniels will speak. That would be interesting. All right, folks. Have a good week. Be safe. Hey, it's Ryan. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to a minor detail podcast through iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, or virtually any available podcast directory. And you can find a minor detail on the web at a minordetail.com. I am interested in your feedback. Email me at Ryan at a minordetail.com. And please go ahead and give us a like and subscribe on Facebook and Twitter using the at sign. That is at a minor detail with an E, not an O. That's it. Thanks for listening. We'll see you around.